Amen. So I'm in the middle of a series, and I'm loving the series. And the series is on the pastoral letters or the pastoral epistles. And epistle is letter. And so we're covering First Timothy, and that's where we're starting. And the pastoral letters are First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. And Paul wrote all of them. And in going over First uh, Timothy, I, I want to just remind us of the purpose. The primary purpose of this letter written by Paul was to encourage Timothy in the difficult task that he had of dealing with doctrinal errors and practical problems in the church at Ephesus. So Paul writes a letter to give him instruction, to give him encouragement. And it's a neat, it's a neat little thing that Paul does when we're reading through 1 Timothy. If you start at the beginning, you'll see this, this cool back and forth. He encourages Timothy, he encourages the church. He encourages Timothy, he encourages the church. He encourages, it's a back and forth and it's really cool. And as pastors, I want you to know that we need that. We need encouragement to then, you know, do what we do. And then the the church is encouraged. And so that's what Paul is doing. So we're currently, oh, in uh, verse 18. And we'll be reading from that in a moment. But I want to introduce a word to you. And that word is anthropos. Anthropos. It's a Greek word. And it's translated as this. A human being. Whether male or or female, mankind, anthropos. This word is important because Paul chooses his words wisely. Paul chooses his words strategically. Paul has purpose with the words he chooses. And when we read First Timothy, uh, the end of chapter 1, and then we'll go into chapter 2, we'll see this word. And in your Bible, depending on what translation you have, it might say man. It might say man, man, man. The word is mankind. It's the same word that Jesus used when referring to himself. When he called himself the son of man, Jesus, that was a term he used for himself, the son of man, the son of man. That's the the same word. It's the son of mankind. It's the son of humanity. This was Jesus's uh, effort to drive home the point. I am man. I am a man. Um, And he did that so that so that it would fulfill promise and prophecy so that the Father would be glorified. And so when we read this word, we need to keep this in mind because it's a radical word. For us, it's not radical. We're like, okay, mankind, I get it. You know, go on to the next point, Mark. No, it's, it's a radical word for Paul to use because cause prior to what the, the New Testament church was doing, women weren't addressed. When they said men, it was men. And so for Paul to bring this word saying men and women, mankind, humanity, it, it's a powerful thing. So we'll keep that in mind. And I'll try and point it out the different times that we use that. So let's go ahead and read First Timothy 1, 18 through 20. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme. In reading this passage, this is how chapter 1 comes to an end. And it's interesting to note uh, a word that Paul uses in verse 19, and he also used it at the beginning of the book. And that word is tis. 
or tis, I actually believe it's pronounced T-I-S, and it's the word some. So in, in verse 19, it says some, and this is what it's translated as. A certain one used of persons or things concerning which the writer either cannot or will not speak. So when Paul's talking about some, and we'll read it in a moment, keep in mind that word is translated as something that the writer either cannot or will not speak. So let's go ahead and read that verse again, and I'll point something out. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some, that's that word tease, for some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. So Paul goes out of his way to mention a specific context with a general term, a generic term. Don't you find that interesting? What's more interesting is the very next verse, homeboy names names. The very next verse, you know, where he showed restraint in verse 19 and verse 20, he says, oh no, Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples of these who have done exactly this and shipwrecked their faith. Isn't that interesting? He shows reserve in some points, but then in others he, he names names. That, that will be an interesting fact as we go on this series. And you've got to keep in mind, when we're on a series, we're building to something. But I, I don't want to just fly through the Word of God and not sit there and camp when something is, is important and is valuable. This word is the exact same gender generic word that Paul used in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, when I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Same thing. Used a generic term, you know, so that the people reading are making contact going, yeah, I know who you're referring to, even though you're not naming their names. So why does Paul choose to do this? Verse 20, he says, Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. Why does he do this? Why does he make a generic stance at one point and then the next point name names? You know, we're not totally certain. We can we can kind of fill in the gaps and connect the dots at times. Um, and I believe that this is what I believe and that we'll see as we continue to read. There's there's some people that, that he, he had faith for. And his hope was restoration back to the body of Christ. Hymenaeus and Alexander, he basically made the hard call and surrendered them, kicked them out, gave them the boot. So he named those names. Sometimes in the church, there are difficult decisions that have to be made. Correction, rebuke. They are requirements of a leader. We will see this in, in First and Second Timothy. We'll see it in Titus. It's a requirement of a leader to correct, to rebuke. Those things aren't fun. Now, we, earlier we read, Paul states his purpose, his purpose in writing this, and the purpose was love. And so as we do the difficult things, we still do it with love because we are motivated by the Lord. You know, there's times I've had to bring correction or rebuke, and I promise you, it never sounds like this. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. It's never a weapon. It's never wielded like a weapon. It's never meant to embarrass. I have never rebuked someone publicly. I don't know what sort of extreme example it would have to be. Now, a a correction, there's times, you know, maybe, you know, a correction's done publicly. Like, let's give an example. Let's say someone comes to the mic and they, they tell Andy a word and they're like, my word, you know, is, and, you know, 
the 23rd Psalm. And he's like, oh, that's great. That really fits with worship. Why don't you go ahead and bring it? And then they get on the mic and they just totally ignore the 23rd Psalm. And they give a word of like correction to the church, right? A word of, you know, repent and do this and this. I would come up to them up here in front of you guys and, and I would correct that. And I'd, I'd do so lovingly. I'd say, God bless him. You know, the brother's got a good heart. He just was a little off on that. Uh, correction only comes, rebuke only comes from elders according to the Bible. And so that was, he was out of place there, but that's okay. You know, that, we learn, we grow. So, you know, God bless your brother. Just next time you say you're going to read the 23rd Psalm, read the 23rd Psalm. You know, and that's correction. And, and so, you know, and that could be done godly and in love. We see in this instance, Paul's whole purpose in writing the letter to Timothy was to give him instruction because of false teaching that was taking place. We see at the beginning, he, he uses the generic, hey, there's been false teachers among you. And then we see here, he still kind of uses generic, hey, there's those that have done this, and then he names two of them. Two of them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. But I want to point something out. This may seem harsh. At first glance, this seems harsh. It's like, man, Paul surrendered him to the devil? Really? That's, that's pretty extreme. You know, so it seems harsh at first, but we got to look a little bit further. Hymenaeus, this is verse 20 again. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan. So what? For what purpose? So that they might learn not to blaspheme. So that they would receive the opportunity for repentance. So that they would learn their errors. Now, we might think, then you hand someone over to Satan... What you're going to learn is the dark crafts of Satan. I mean, you, you know, that's what we think. When someone's handed over to the Satan, I think right away you you look and go, man, I was way off. You know, God, God is much better. A life serving the Lord. Man, I, I feel so dark and I feel so alone. I need to repent. I need to run to the Lord. That's the purpose of Paul surrendering was so that these guys might be taught not to blaspheme God. They might be brought back to repentance. I've said this before. There's a lot of times when we're reading the words when I just don't understand the, the men that translated the Bible, why they chose the breaks that they chose. You know, that when Paul wrote this letter, they, there weren't numbers. It wasn't First Timothy 1, colon, 1. And Timothy, if you'll reference verse 7, I said, you know, there weren't numbers. That was that was set in by men, okay? We look at chapter 2, verse 1, and I truly believe this is a continuation of this first chapter. Let's go ahead and read that together. Uh, we'll go ahead and read... Uh, well, we'll just read the first couple of verses. I urge you then, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. 
So we look at it in this chapter 2 and we think, okay, this begins a new thought. This doesn't begin a new thought. This continues the original thought. I want to read this together. So I want to read 1 Timothy 18 through 20 and then I'm just going to stay on course and read chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So listen to the way it blends together. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. I urge you then, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks to them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Doesn't that kind of blend a little bit better? Doesn't that make a little bit more sense? What were Paul's instructions to Timothy? For Timothy then to encourage the church. Hey, sometimes difficult decisions have to be made. And this is one of the cases with these two brothers. But I urge you then, pray for them. Intercede for them. Go to the Lord for them. What we see in this passage is instruction is given that we pray for the troublemakers the exact same way we pray for kings. With no discrimination. With no difference. It's right there in the Word. We pray, believing God, interceding on people's behalves. We ask God to help them. And why do we do this? With a goal in mind. So we can live peaceful, quiet lives characterized by godliness and dignity. Kind of makes the end of chapter one there just makes a little bit more sense. When when there's correction or rebuke, or in this case, this is not just correction or rebuke. This is severe church discipline. It's still to be done in love. It is still to be done with Christ in mind, Christ in heart, and Christ in actions. What a, what a fant! I'm telling you guys, I'm, I'm loving this study in this series because it's instruction for how, it's instruction for pastors and it's instruction for church, how we're to live our lives. You know, we can we can apply this to our lives in so many ways. At work, what about when, when there's... I mean, anyone have an annoying coworker or someone that just gets under your skin? Someone that you just... Man, God bless them. You, you just, you're praying they'd be transferred, you know? And how do we deal with those people? Pray for them to be transferred? <laughs> no! <laughs> sure, we can pray for ourselves. But you lift them up. You intercede for them. You pray for them the same way you would kings. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, libertarian. How do we pray for our kings? How do we pray for our rulers? How do we pray for our government authorities? Maybe we look at them as troublemakers. Are we interceding for them? 
Are we asking God to help them? Are we standing in the gap on their behalf? I don't know. Just figured I'd throw it out there. Chapter 2, verse 1. I urge you then, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. This is one of those usages of the word uh, that I referenced. Instead of just man, it's mankind, it's humanity. The man Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. Who does God desire be saved? Everyone. God desires that everyone be saved. We see it in his word. I desire that not one would perish. I desire that everyone would be saved. God desires that everyone would be saved. Friends, God does not always get his way. He doesn't. He doesn't get his way. Because you know what? People die every day without having trusted their life in Jesus Christ. And that is not his desire. That is not what he wants. He wants that not one would perish. But he gives us free will. He gives us choice. There's only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. As we're going through this study, it's it's the first time that the audience is hearing these type of words that references all of mankind. That includes men and women. Paul in other passages in Galatians, he makes statements, there is neither male nor, nor female, free nor slave, Jew nor Greek. He makes these contrasts, radical thoughts, radical thoughts. For us, here we are in 2012, not so radical. For them, absolutely radical. Why in the world would Paul have to throw out the disclaimer saying, I- I'm telling the truth. I- I'm not exaggerating. I'm telling the truth. Why would he have to throw out that disclaimer that we saw at the end of this passage? I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. Why would Paul have to do that? Except for the fact that this is just crazy talk. Paul is introducing to them the freedom in Christ Jesus. Freedom that was not found in the Jewish culture. Freedom that was not found in the Greek culture. Freedom that was not found in the Roman culture. In the upcoming weeks, we're going to break down those cultures so that we can see what kind of world Jesus was born into. 
We're going to talk about some of those things. But the freedoms that we experience, they don't experience. They didn't experience until Jesus Christ came. Sometimes we, we throw around Christian catchphrases and, and, and so we dismiss things. But when I say Jesus was the most radical man that ever walked the face of the earth, that is not hyperbole. That is not just another catchphrase. That is true. The things he taught and the freedom he brought, the world had never experienced then or since. Jesus gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone of every social and ethical standing. Kara, if you could come on up. My desire is that we as a church have a hunger for God's word. That we have a hunger for his truth. That we have a hunger for him to just make uh, his word come alive to us. And revelation... As we're reading these passages, the worst thing I could think of is that we just fly through these things without fully grasping the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. The freedom that we walk in. When we talk about Hymenaeus and Alexander and then Paul immediately follows up with pray for him. My friends, if you have trusted your life in Jesus Christ, then you do not have the luxury of unforgiveness. You don't have the luxury of unforgiveness. It is not a choice you have. Not in His freedom. Well, hold on a second. You're talking about freedom and now you're talking about restrictions. No. We who have been forgiven of all of our sins have been commanded time and time again to forgive others. We don't have the luxury or, or the choice to forgive or not to forgive. I, I heard a believer one time make the statement, well, you know, yeah, that's true, but you know, as long as you know they're sorry for what they did. That's not true. We forgive regardless if they're sorry of whether or not they did it. Because forgiveness is about me and my father. Forgiveness is about you and your father. Really, it has very little to do with the people that have hurt us or wounded us or betrayed us. It's about me being in right standing with my Lord and there being nothing, no barrier, no sin, no bitterness, no unforgiveness. I love that Paul has the guts to address things that ruffled feather, that offended people. His message offended people. His message of freedom for men and women offended people of for slave and free offended people and even in what he had to do it was offensive in nature anytime you've got to make that hard call it's going to offend some people but i love his heart in it friends we pray for him friends we 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 ask for god to bring them to repentance You know, in this message, I don't know why the Lord has put forgiveness so strong on my heart because this really isn't a passage on forgiveness. But let's not be mistaken. When the Lord speaks, we respond. And the thing that he's speaking right now is forgiveness.
forgiveness. Blessing and not cursing. I love a good, honest self-evaluation. You know, I love when we can just take a look inside and say, does this apply to me? Do I have unforgiveness in my, in my heart, in my life? Have I just kind of pushed it aside and bottled it up and said, I just won't deal with it? Who do we have to forgive? You know what? There's times we've got to forgive ourselves. There's times we hold ourselves to an ungodly standard of perfection that God never asks us to walk. He never asked perfection of us, but to look to the one who was perfect. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. I, I should have known better. I shouldn't have put myself in that situation. If you're here tonight and you need to forgive yourself, then forgive yourself. Most likely, it's someone else we need to forgive. It's someone that's hurt us or betrayed us harmed us or at times more powerfully harmed our loved ones they didn't do nothing to me but they hurt the one I love they betrayed my father they betrayed my wife my husband my we need to forgive we need to forgive them if we want to walk in liberty if we want to walk in freedom if we want to walk in grace the Bible says if we do not forgive we will not be forgiven our own sins so if we want to walk in forgiveness we must forgive this one's interesting sometimes we have to forgive God God who's perfect God who hasn't sinned I'm not implying he sinned but God is big enough and as our perfect Father, He wants us whole. And there's things that we have blamed God for. And we just, we just need to forgive. It's easier to forgive than to try and figure it all out, than to try and make sense of things. Friends, we have such a freedom in Jesus Christ. You know what? I got to have a freedom to stand up here and be a goofy sucker. Just be me. And point people to Jesus. You got the freedom to just be you. To love Jesus and to point others to Jesus. We don't got to be anything that we're not. But friends, we got to be honest enough that if we've got unforgiveness, that we forgive. What does that look like? Lord, I forgive so-and-so. I forgive them for what they did. And I release them. And I forgive them. Lord, I don't want your judgment upon them. I want your grace upon them. I forgive them. See, if we want God's judgment upon them, I don't, I don't know that we've really forgiven them. If we're praying God's judgment upon them, I don't know that we've fully forgiven them. If we're not praying God to help them, as, as Paul instructs Timothy in the church, if we're not interceding for them, if we're not standing in the gap for them to God saying, forgive them, bless them, help them. I believe that we're capable of 
of doing this right there where we're standing. But if you need to come up front, we don't have an altar. This isn't your traditional kind of church where we've got a beautiful carpeted staircase and an altar that you can come lay upon. But we can find an altar anywhere, my friends. Sometimes it's our bedroom. We just kneel beside our bed and we get alone with God. If we need to forgive, then forgive and forgive freely. And then receive His freedom and His healing. It's going, to, it's going to stir some things up. If there's hurts that we're forgiven, it's going to stir some things up. But either He's our healer or He's not. Either He's our Savior or He's not. Either He's our deliverer or He's not. And He is. He is. Let's pray.